<laughs> Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this family that you've given us, this group of people that you brought together. Um, we are so weird, God. We stand three of us together and we don't look alike, God. Um, the only thing we have in common is you. Uh, Father, you are the best thing to ever happen to us, and we praise you for that, God. You deserve our praise. Father, I, I ask for your blessing on the message tonight, God, that you would um, speak individually to us, God, that whatever words uh, Mark has prepared, God, that those would touch us each personally in the way that you would have us receive them, God. Um, yeah, Father, be praised tonight in this message. Um, I ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wish I was as uninhibited as the children are. Even my own children, I think, why are, you, why are you doing that? You're embarrassing yourself and me at the same time. My children aren't here tonight, so I'll just embarrass myself. Um, my name is Mark Grabengator. Uh, uh, I am starting a church in the southeast corner of Denver, and so it's always uh, great to be here with you guys and to see what God has done and to know that he wants to do uh, it again here, uh, both in this place to revive and, and, and bring life uh, here and bring life to, to us here as we worship him, but also to bring life um, in our little corner as well. And so I, we, are, we are still very much in the early stages of gathering, and so I don't get to preach um, except to my wife, and she doesn't like listening to me a lot of times. So um, I probably need to hear it more myself. So it's great to be able to be here, and I appreciate the, the privilege to be with you. Uh, it is Advent, and uh, I thought um, we would take a look at Luke uh, 2, 18 through 14. If you have a Bible with you uh, this, this evening, uh, that's the, those are the verses that we're going to look at uh, tonight. And so I'm going to read those uh, for us. Real quick, and if we have them up here, I'm going to read them from what you have so that we're all reading the same thing together. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. TBH, to be honest, to be honest, I hate this phrase. I hate when people say, to be honest, I hate when they are talking to me and suddenly say, well, you know, honestly, because to me, it's like just an excuse for them to say whatever they want in whatever tone and language they want. And it's really an excuse for them just to be an a-hole. And then I question whether or not they have been honest up to this point. Have you been lying to me before? Or is now just the point in which you feel like you can speak your mind to me? I don't like this phrase. I, I try not to use it myself. But to be honest, <laughs> we're going to use it tonight. Because to, pull, to fully appreciate the promise that Christmas brings, we have to be honest about the darkness 
in which we live. We have to be honest about the world in which we inhabit. We need to be honest about our own hearts and our own lives. And Advent is a season in which we get to do that. As Steve told us earlier today, Advent means coming. It is the, the uh, a period of waiting that we have in which we, we hope and we have peace we long for peace. We long for joy. We long for comfort in a dark world. And interestingly enough, this is the first season in the church calendar. The church calendar begins with Advent. It doesn't begin with Christmas, a great celebration. It doesn't begin with Easter or with um, uh, Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. It begins with Advent, a period of waiting and longing and hoping for something better than what we have. Advent is honest when it affirms the world we live in, the darkness that is here, as also gives us hope of not remaining this way. We long for the coming, the advent of Christ, and living after the advent of Jesus himself, after Christmas, we also long for the second coming, the second advent. Tish Warren is a an Anglican priest, and she writes this, in the face of these surface-level, saccharine-fueled celebrations of Christmas that we have, the jingle bells that will not stop, she says, Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right, and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness, Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but are also wielders of it, contributing to our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. Advent gives us appropriate emotions for this time of year. And in our passage, we th see three different emotions that are mentioned. We have fear, we have joy, and finally, we have peace. So we're going to look at these emotions this morning, fear, joy, and peace. I did it. I always do that here this morning, this evening. All right. Fear. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. I'm going to read it from my, my translation. It's a little bit different, but it all makes sense, right? Luke writes, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Fear is our first emotion when light confronts darkness. Here we have the angel appearing to shepherds out in the middle of the night, a divine messenger suddenly appearing to these guys, these dudes just hanging out, doing their job, trying to stay away from society outside the city. And Luke says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Glory in the New Testament always is, is, a, is a symbol of light. And so this great brightness comes and shines on them and what they are doing. Maybe this isn't what they want right now. Maybe they're outside of the city for a reason. Maybe they're, they've separated themselves because they like the darkness. They want to be hidden, and they want their lives to be hidden. Because shepherds were not people who belong. They were not part of regular society. 
They were the meaner demographic, as one uh, uh, commentator said. They were not legal witnesses. They couldn't be a, take part in a trial. They were treated with suspicion and scorn, often because they were the ones who were the robbers and thieves themselves. They sat outside the city, and they took what they wanted from passerbyers. They were people who lived in the darkness and liked to be left in the darkness. And so when confronted by the light, they had great fear. They were megaphobic, as Luke writes. See, seeing the darkness, fear is our first emotion when light enters the darkness. Uh, on Thursday, I was able to go on a ride-along with a police officer. Actually, I, I think any citizen can do this. You can do it about once a year. I thought I would do it to, to see a different side of Denver. You know, I get to live in a, a rather suburban context. It's not where we usually find ourselves, but it was, what, what really is Denver? How can I get to know the city better? Maybe I'll spend some time with the police. They get to see a lot of things that we like to keep hidden, maybe from our own lives. And so for about 10 hours, uh, I rode along with him, and the first call that we had was a domestic violence call. Domestic violence is one of the top, is the top issues that police deal with here in Denver. We dealt with family conflict of a grandmother and a mother trying to decide who had custody of their son, of, of the mother's son that night. We dealt with uh, death and, and someone passed out and ultimately who died in a bathroom at Whole Foods. We, left, uh, we dealt with lost fathers. We dealt with um, all sorts of things that were dark. Over and over again, the officer would walk in to try to sort out what was going on, to bring light into darkness, to be honest when people are not honest with themselves. And it was scary sometimes. You didn't quite know what was going to go on. You didn't quite know what you were going to find when you went on that. He said uh, uh, at one point, he's like, you know, I can take you back to the station anytime you want. You can, you can go home. And I was like, hey, man, I'm no quitter. Like, I'm going to be here for the ride. Like, so we, we got to spend a lot of time together. Peter Lightheart says this, the first advent is in Genesis 3 when Yahweh comes in the spirit of the day calling for Adam and confronting his sin. Since then, every time the Lord of light comes, it means exposure, shame, judgment. Every time the light comes, we are tempted to reach for the fig leaves. During this Advent season, resist that temptation. Don't blame others for your sins. Don't try to cover up your own sins. Don't turn from the light, but towards it. Ask God to shine the light of Jesus into your darkness to overcome the darkness, because the light is life even when it feels like death. This is a frightful thing. It is death sometimes to know that those sins, those things that we hold on so dear that we try to cover up and we try to make look good or the things that we try to hide are going to be exposed, that a part of us is going to die, but a part of us is going to come to life as well. It's to believe that God has come not to destroy us, but to save us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this when he was in jail uh, in, in Nazi prison. He said, The coming of God is truly not only a joyous message, but is first frightful news for, the, for anyone who has a conscience. And only when we have felt the frightfulness of this matter can we know the incomparable favor. God comes in the midst of evil, in the midst of death, and judges it. 
He loves us. He purifies us. He sanctifies us. He comes to us with his grace and love. He makes us happy. Only as children can be happy. Only as children can be uninhibited to dance before the Lord. What darkness is around you this Advent? We all have it in one way or another. What fears can you bring to the Lord? Where can the light of his son Jesus shine to bring about healing and hope and wholeness in your life? Remember, it's not only that God appeared to shepherds, but God calls himself a shepherd. He identifies with those who spend their life in darkness because he's not afraid to enter it because he is the one who bears light, who called forth light into creation. What are you fearing this Advent? What can you give over to the Lord? What, where in your life does he need to shine his light? Because he draws us near those of us who are far away who are lost in the darkness to shine his light on us. Advent begins with fear, but it doesn't leave us there. There's hope to more emotions than just fear. Look at, and the second fear, the second emotion that we have is joy. Look at verses 10 through 12 with me. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I, will bring, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The second emotion that we can experience this Advent is joy. Again, we, the shepherds, experienced megaphobia, great fear. But the angel says, I bring you good news of mega joy. This joy is not an emotion caused by the circumstances that are taking place, but by the presence and work of God in their lives and in the world. This joy is not a seasonal effect that we have to pretend that we have, even if we don't feel like it. But this is joy that we can have because of the work of God, because it's based on who Jesus is and the good news of who the angel is announcing. Right, she says, uh, the angel says, you can find, uh, fear not, I bring you good, no, uh, excuse me, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is born Christ the King, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. This Jesus, this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths is given three uh, titles is given three uh, uh, aspects of who this is, and these are non-negotiables. Again, this is not uh, um, this is not something that that goes away. But this is who Jesus is. The angel calls him Messiah, calls him Lord, and calls him Savior. Messiah is the Anointed One, the Promised One, the one that's been long awaited for, the one that Israel has been waiting for since the beginning, since they received that promise, that there would be a stump of Jesse, a, a, a descendant of David who would come and take over the throne of God, that all the promises, all the prophecies that we have sitting in the Old Testament, both in Isaiah 9.6 of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. I'll go there real quick. 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And this is also the child that can stand under the weight of Isaiah 53. The one who is despised and rejected by men, who is called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In verse 4, Isaiah writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. There is only one. Who can only one Messiah who can stand up under the weight of the entire Old Testament, prophecies and promises being fulfilled in him, Jesus. Not only that, the angel calls him Lord. Lord is the Greek word kurios, and this is the word that was used over and over and over again in the Old Testament when it was translated into Greek that was substituted for the name of God himself, Yahweh. God with us. Jesus, Joshua. God living among us. Here we have the very Son of God dwelling among his people. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. And he is God himself. And he is a savior. Savior is a, is a massive political word. This is a direct confrontation with the cult of Caesar, with the Roman government that would have been in power of the day. Jesus is called the Savior. In 9 BC, an inscription declared that Caesar Augustus' birthday was good news, just as Jesus' birthday was declared good news. And this inscription declared that Caesar was God, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Savior, that they should associate him with peace and hope, and good news. I would think it would be hard for a people like Israel who have been put who have been enslaved and been overruled for the most of their existence to believe that Caesar Augustus was the one who was going to save them, who's going to bring good news. However, Jesus is our savior. Jesus is the is God with us. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus is the long-awaited promise fulfiller serpent-crushing, sin-bearing, son of the Most High God who brings his kingdom of peace and love and hope and justice and mercy and righteousness and grace and kindness and patience and joy to reign and rule and to pour it out still here and now. And he continues to do that. And this is both, both, both personal and it's public. In verse 10, the angel declares it's for you and for all peoples. This is something that we can grasp, that we can be a part of, that we can experience the mega joy that is being offered us. And it's unlimited. No one is left out, even shepherds, the despised and rejected people of a society are invited in to this joy that God is waiting them Make a joy, joy despite our circumstances. It's something that we sometimes experience uh, in, 
as opposed to happiness. Happiness is kind of the, the jingle bells and the, the Christmas carols and songs and things that, that honestly I love about Christmas. I, I have nothing against those things. But they fade away and eventually uh, we're left with uh, a very cold January, right, and February that we have to push through. But joy is something that cannot be taken away. My grandmother uh, died at the beginning of October, and so myself and, and my family here and uh, my sister who lives here in Denver as well and my parents and all of my cousins uh, who were scattered across the country uh, descended upon Manhattan, Kansas, and I think the hotel that we were staying in that had no public space for us to hang out and enjoy ourselves uh, was a little overwhelmed by that. But despite it being we, us going there, because of her death, a very sad occurrence, we experienced great joy. We experienced joy being together as family. We experienced joy knowing that our grandmother is in heaven with her Savior, with Jesus being caught up with him and dancing, one who is healed, who, one who uh, can see and hear one who is able to experience wholeness in her life as again. And so while we certainly were not happy that she died and everyone who shared was very sorrowful, we were also very joyful in being able to celebrate her life and where she is now. Joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is based on a person who can stand up underneath the promises the weight of being the Son of God himself and the Savior who brings, truly brings, hope and joy and peace. Where have you placed your joy this Advent season? Where do you place your joy throughout your life? Is it in those circumstances that can fade away? Or is it in the one who will never leave his throne, who is seated at the right hand of God who reigns and rules and says, one day I will return again and place all of my enemies under my feet as my footstool. Is your joy placed in Jesus? Let's hope that this Advent season we can find, we can find a way to place it there. And suddenly in the face of the shepherd's fear, suddenly a curtain rises, a company, a massive Lord of the ring-sized army of angels appear with lights and lasers, and they are singing this hymn. Is this, I'm not sure this is when the shepherds kind of relax and that their fear subsided. I'm not sure that they saw this as kind of the, the moment that, that they're, 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 they receive the joy. But this is an army that's been deployed for peace, not for war. Or the last emotion, maybe not the last emotion, but the last emotion in our passage that we can experience is peace. Verses 13 and 14, Luke writes, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace, unity, wholeness, heaven and earth being united 
once again. This is what God cre- uh, intended in creation, that, that humans and the divine would be able to walk together, that they would be able to experience, that we would be able to experience the fullness of who God is, the fullness of heaven. And here we see heaven breaking through to earth. This is the celebration of two planes being finally once again conjoined together. Glory in heaven and peace on earth. Glory to God and peace to humanity. It's peace with God. It's peace with ourselves and it's peace with other that God, others that God brings to us. Peace with God allows us to experience both his judgment and his kindness in the same moment, knowing that because of Jesus, because of this little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, he has taken care of our sins. Again, Isaiah 53, he bore the iniquity of us all. Romans 5.8 reminds us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's nothing that we have done on our own, but it is that which Jesus has accomplished on the cross for us that gives us peace with God. It's peace with ourselves. We can be integral, integrated, whole people again. We don't have to hide our own sins from our own eyes. We can be honest about our need for a Savior, are honest about our sins, honest about the anger that creeps up so quickly in our lives sometimes, in our mouths and our words. Maybe we can apologize to those who are around us. Maybe we can apologize to ourselves for how we continually treat ourselves and not being whole, integrated people. We can apologize to others for how we have treated them because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus is our peace, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. Despite us not looking the same, despite us coming from different places around the country and the world, despite us having different familial backgrounds, it is Christ who brings us here to worship together tonight because of his peace that he brings us. See, I think we have a really hard time being integral, being whole, having peace just in ourselves. I have a theory. I have a theory about how we got online and about the disintegration of ourselves. If you remember, if you can remember, uh, back when we had the dial-up modem and when we get on America Online and we created a screen name for ourselves and we could assume any identity that we wanted to. So no one knew who they were really talking to and you, and you could pretend to be whoever you wanted as well. This led down some really, really terrible paths and still does to today because I think that as we disintegrated ourselves when we went online by creating a screen name and an avatar and pretending to be someone that we weren't, we still hold that uh, disintegration when we go online today. Look at how people treat one another and talk to one another who they don't even know on Facebook where we use our real names, where we have to, where where we should be posting a, a, a photo of ourselves. We still have this separation that we would never speak this way to those uh, people if they were right in front of us. We would never speak that way to them. But I believe that we don't know how to be integrated people because of how we first went online. We are divided selves, and it is Christ who can bring us back, who can give us peace, who can bring wholeness to our lives so that we can be the same person 
online, offline, with our family, by ourselves, with those whom we love, with those who maybe we don't love. With whom do you long for peace? Who do you need peace with this Advent and Christmas season? Is it going home? Is it when you travel to go see your family? Is it peace with God that you need? Is there peace with a coworker? Is it peace with yourself? Is it who do you need peace with this season? Because it's all peace. The peace that lasts begins by finding peace with God. Doesn't mean that we don't have to work for it. Doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that suddenly our Christmas uh, dinner conversations are going to be filled with with peace and love. But it does mean that we don't have to hide who we are anymore because God has said, you're a whole lot worse off than how you think you are, but I love you way more than you can ever imagine. It's God who brings peace, who makes us whole. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation as well, that we are able to be agents of peace for him in our own lives. And only with the peace that God brings can we be honest about who we are how we've been hurt, and who we've hurt so that we can again be whole. Advent allows us to be honest. Advent gives us space during this season to be honest about our fear, to be honest about our need for joy and our lack of peace. It allows us to be expectant that there is one, Jesus Christ, who came to take away our fears, and to give us the joy and peace that lasts. Let's pray. Merciful God, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and to prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, in God, now and forever. Amen.